If you would please turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. We're looking at verses 7 through 18. A section that I call a true man of God is known by. A true man of God is known by. 2 Corinthians chapter 10 verses 7 through 18. If you would please follow with me at the reading of the word of God. Verse 7. You are looking at things as they are outwardly. If anyone is confident in himself that he is Christ, let him consider this again within himself, that just as he is Christ, so also are we. For even if I boast somewhat further about our authority, which the Lord gave for building you up, not destroying you, I will not be put to shame. For I do not wish to seem as if I would terrify you by my letters. For they say, his letters are weighty and strong, but his personal presence is unimpressive and his speech is contemptible. Let such a person consider this, that what we are also in word by letters when absent, such persons we are also indeed when present. For we are not bold to class or compare ourselves to some of those who commend themselves But when they measure themselves by themselves and compare themselves with themselves, they are without understanding. But we will not boast beyond our measure, but within the measure of the sphere which God apportioned to us as a measure to reach even as far as you. We are not overextending ourselves as if we did not reach to you. For we were the first to come even as far as you in the gospel of Christ, not boasting beyond our measure, that is, in other men's labors, but with hope that as your faith grows, we will be within our sphere enlarged even more by you, so as to preach the gospel even to the region beyond you and not to boast in what has been accomplished in the sphere of another. But he who boasts is to boast in the Lord, for it is not he who commends himself that is approved, but he whom the Lord commends. Father, teach us now. Show us the wonder of this text. Let us understand the urgency of our day as we understand the battle that the Apostle Paul was enduring. Father, I thank you that even in your sovereignty the chaos that was in Corinth, Father, you overcame it and there was a restoration. And yet, Father, as we step in and look at this section on spiritual warfare, we understand it is alive and well. Help us, Lord, to stand. Stand firm in your truth. Preach your truth in love. And yet, Father, do not compromise your truth. To you, my King, my Lord. Amen. We've been going through this and I've been trying to, to show you that if, if you were in a topical preaching church, you're not going to get this text. And even if you're in a expository church, this text would probably be taught in one setting. You know me. I've never had one setting, although I was reminded a week or so ago that I taught Philemon in one message. And I can tell you that I did not do it justice. So we'll do it again. No. What this text is dealing with 
you break 2 Corinthians down into two sections. Chapter 1 through chapter 9. Okay, it's to those people that this relationship with the Apostle Paul has been restored. If you go look at 1 Corinthians, you see a, a, a catastrophe. It was chaotic. And Paul wrote another letter that we don't have. We call it the severe letter. And it broke the hearts of the Corinthians. And many came back to the Apostle Paul and that relationship was restored. But what happens is you have people who were those who had brought the accusations against Paul. They're still in the corners. All right, they're on the edges and they're going to wait for a time and they're going to try to restore it. That's why you have chapter 10 to the end of the book. He deals with them. He does not deal with their specific names, but he deals with them as individuals. And when you read this letter in front of the congregation, everybody in the congregation is going to know who he's talking about. All right. And I, I call this spiritual warfare because spiritual warfare is not what Hollywood wants you to think it is. OK, spiritual warfare is speculations and lofty things raised up against the knowledge of God. OK, spiritual warfare is for the mind. You're, you're dealing with the thinking processes of individuals. All right. We've looked through this and we see that a true man of God and in verse seven is known by his relationship to Christ. All right. Consider this again within himself that just as he is Christ, so are we. And, and what is amazing about that? You are looking at the things outwardly. All right. We do that. And yet when I look at deceivers, they're always new in town. They just stroll in and they will have some credentials. And everybody says, well, yeah, that's a real guy of God. Why? Well, he's got a suit on and he went to school. So that, that's, he's got to be, right? But that's how the deceivers come in. And they come and they'll lay the lie right alongside the truth. And Paul is telling the Corinthians, you look at it outwardly. What is right in front of your nose? Who started the church in Corinth? Paul did. And yet, when these guys came in, in the, after Paul left, brings me to the second thing. What was Paul's impact on the church? And what was these accusers' impact on the church? Well, it was chaos. He said he had gone to the church service and he surprised everybody. And he says there were people standing up all the time prophesying. There was people babbling in tongues. All of these things were going on. And he said that even if a lost person came in, he would think you're insane. So there was no unity left in the body of Christ in Corinth after Paul left. And it was because of these people who came in who, who believed they had a higher knowledge, a higher understanding, a higher capability. And I have a letter of recommendation. What's going on today? Look at the church in America today. It is stunning to me. And yet nobody... I get into more trouble challenging doctrine than I have ever got in for anything else. And it's, it's, it's amazing to me. And yet, we are to hold it up to truth. Does it fit? How is the impact on the church? Verse 8, he said, 
The Lord gave me this ministry for building you up, not destroying you. Third thing is, is his compassion for the people. Verse 9. I didn't want to terrify you by my letters. I wrote the letters. Listen. If you confront somebody in their sin, there's usually two responses. They either break down and thank you. Or the other one. They're not grateful anymore. I remember one time going and getting a young lady. She had left her husband and was out at the bars. He was distraught. So uh, at that time, there was only like three bars in Castle Rock. Um, So I drove, found her van out front of the bar. I walked into the bar and tapped her on the shoulder. Of course, every man in the bar is willing to buy her whatever she wants. Um, And I tapped her on the shoulder. She turned around and uh, (laughs) turned pale. And I told her that uh, you shouldn't be in here. And uh, I took her back out. I asked her if she had too much to drink. And she said no. She didn't seem like it. And I followed her home and tried to get her and her husband to restore the relationship. Okay? That's what we do. Okay? I tell people this. And I said, you know what? It's fine to point out somebody's sin. But if you're not willing to bear that burden, please keep your mouth shut. It's that simple. You who are spiritual see a brother in a trespass. What does it say do? Tell them they're in a trespass. No. You bear their burden. You help them carry that load. We like to tell them that you got a load. (laughs) And and that's not what we're here for. We're supposed to help them to overcome it. All right. There's a compassion for the people. The Apostle Paul laid his life down for the saints. And even Corinth... You've got to understand, he went there three times. Okay? He wrote four letters to them. These people... And I... How many of us would have said, you guys are such a bunch of knuckleheads, I'm going to wipe the dust off my sandals and I'm out of here. You guys can just get over it. Not the Apostle Paul. He had a passion for the people. But he also has a disdain. The true man of God has a disdain for fleshly methods. Verse 10. They say, who is they? They are the ones who uh, are coming against the Apostle Paul. The ones who said Paul walks in the flesh. The one who says Paul isn't true. He's false. Those ones. It is those who have confidence in himself that he is Christ. Those ones. For they say his letters are weighty and strong. Okay, that's a reference back to his severe letter. His letters have power. But you know what? He came in and we accused him right to his face in front of the congregation. And the whole congregation didn't defend him. And he slunk out of town, has no confidence in what he's saying. And see, we proved that he was just weak. But his personal presence is unimpressive and his speech is contemptible. You know what? I imagine looking at the Apostle Paul was probably not one of the more pleasant things to do in life. He had been stoned and left for dead, beaten with rods, and he would probably bear on his mark, as he says, the marks of Christ. Right? And his speech was probably contemptible. He was not an orator. He was not a gifted turner of phrases. He was not into rhetoric and great debate. 
But you know what? The true man of God realized that there is nothing adequate about what he has been called to do. And there is none that are true, understand they have the ability to sway the souls of men or women. You can't manipulate it. I I can tickle your ears. But the true man of God has been called to change the heart. And if he is not subject to the person of Jesus Christ, he ain't going to do it. There's going to be no change. There's going to be no change. He has integrity, verse 11. Let such a person, this is the one who says his letters are weighty and strong. Let such a person consider this. That what we are by word and letters when absent, such persons we also are when present. Alright? Their integrity is, is it in front of the crowd or one person when they're with an individual or another person? The false, those who are not called by God are going to use the situation to their advantage and it's a greater advantage to have more people. And the more people that I have, the more that I want that glory. I want to see how this all works and this will be to my benefit. The true man of God is concerned about the one. The one. Which brings me to what we're moving into. Verses 12 through 18. I would actually call 12 through 18 the summary for all the rest of it of a man of God. His humility. His humility. Remember, I shared with you last week as I was moving into this, that if you look at the false, there's one thing that he keeps coming back around. Even if you take the Antichrist... They are full of inflated words. They're arrogant in their speech. Okay? So what Paul does now is he begins to contrast himself with his accusers. Now I'm going to give you Calvin's, uh, one more time, definition of humility. Okay? Quote, Humility is a true and genuine sense of conviction that one is utterly and completely unworthy of the goodness and mercy and grace of God and unacceptable of anything of value apart from God's divine gifts. You got that? Now, my definition of humility is the absence of pride. (laughs) You know, but... Calvin's a little smarter than I am. And that is exactly, that is, there is no greater definition truer of a Christian than that. A true soul saved by the work of the Holy Spirit convicting them of the weight and the crushing of their sin. How do you have pride? Because we, those who are truly saved have to come to a place that they are utterly, completely despicable. Where do you get this? I know a young man one time had, uh, young, young, he was in his 20s, early 20s, 22, 23. And he was sitting in a federal penitentiary. Okay. The next day he was going to be sentenced by a judge. Okay. For distribution of controlled substances, and stolen military weapons. Okay? 22, I think he was. And he sat in this 
holding cell that had uh, a stainless steel sink, a stainless steel toilet, and a steel bed, knowing that tomorrow he stands before the federal judge for his sentencing. His lawyer has already contacted him, said, you're probably looking at a minimum of 20 years. Guy got down on his knees and he said, you know what? I've made a mess of this, Lord. I believe there's a God. I'm not asking for a deal. Save this wretched man. And he told me he knew at that moment that God had saved him. There was no altar call. There was no evangelist in the prison. It wasn't in the jail service at the prison. It was a man who the Holy Spirit said, you are so far from God and there is absolutely nothing you can do to get back. Now let me ask you a question. You been there? Because if you ain't been there, you have pride. Because once you go right there, You've done run out of options. And it doesn't mean you've got to go to prison or anything like that. That's not trying to encourage. Let's go break the law so I can get saved. <laughs> okay. Because I've, I've dealt with people in jail before and I tell them, the easiest thing to do in prison is walk with Christ. There is absolutely no distractions. <laughs> okay. Once you get out, it's Katie bar the door. There's nothing truer of, of mark of a Christian than humility. And Paul contrasts himself with the false. And humility is the summary of it. And I like this because you, you guys who know me, uh, I have the spiritual gift of sarcasm. Okay? But don't worry about it. Paul's got it. Because if, if you just look at how he, he writes, and in verse 12 through the end of it, he starts moving into... Uh, Shall we call it a sarcastic tone? It's, it's, it's also got a great big wheelbarrow full of irony to it. He's dealing with those who are self-promoting. He's dealing with those who are self-commending. Self-exalting. Those who are not true men of God. Why? I can tell someone who's not truly of God because they will commend themselves. And if you listen to what they say, they'll try to make it sound like this is what God has done, but he is so lucky I was there for him. Okay? They want their praise to be out of their own mouths. They measure themselves by themselves. They boast beyond what they have a right to boast beyond. Remember what he said? If we boast in anything, we boast in Christ. They will take credit for other men's labors. I received a card, uh, I guess it was yesterday. Um, Most of you know that I've... This is the only church I've ever been in. And he sent me this card and... um, he wanted to thank me, said a pastor here in town, that um, I paved the way for others. And I was like, what? what? 
just because I've been here a long time doesn't mean I'm paving anything. <laughs> I just don't have anywhere else to go. Okay? And he says, well, but, you know, you're, this is what you did. I, you know what? I, I, I didn't. I remember when I came here. You guys remember Karen Salentine? She says, I remember you. She says, the first time I saw you, you had holes in your jeans, a ponytail, and an attitude. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, thanks, Karen. <laughs> when I see some of these today, I understand and I can listen to them. Um, they are not interested in giving the Lord the glory or the credit for anything. They might in an afterthought. They crave uh, very little divine approval. But they care a lot for human approval. That's how Paul pictures this stretch of text that we're moving in. The true man of God, the true preacher of God, has five characteristics of humility. I'm just going to get them one a week. Here's one. I, I can't... What do they call that when you put them all together in the same letters? What is it? Eh, I don't remember what it is. Alliteration. I, I, I flunked my alliteration class. You know why? I never took one. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> Humility is seen in an unwillingness to compare himself with others. Try to alliterate that. <laughs> All right. I remember when I first took the pulpit, I had read a lot of great Preachers, I mean, amazing guys. Robert Murray McShane, John Knox, Spurgeon, Martin Lloyd-Jones. I mean, some amazing men of God. And every time I preached, I kept thinking, golly, how woefully slacking I am on compared to these men. And God said, well, you're not those men. I was like, okay. All right. When I look at the charlatans, I see people who elevate themselves. And one of the things that I notice about them, they're willing to step on others to elevate themselves. Uh, I was a speaker at a conference down in New Mexico. And um, one of the speakers that was there, there was a group of us. It was a kind of a pastor's conference type thing. One of the guys that was there was mad because my name was ahead of his on the brochure. And I thought, Really? Mine is with a B. <laughs> Yours is with an H. It's alphabetical. But he had his PhD and I got nothing. And I remember him getting mad about it. And I just looked at him and said, you know what? Don't worry about it. If that bothers you, just take a marker and mark my name out. And then yours moves up a slot. And he understood what I was saying. There are those who are not called by God who wants everyone to know he is better than his rivals. Look at verse 12. We are not bold to class or compare ourselves with some of those. Those would be those who I've already brought up. Who commend themselves, but when they measure themselves by themselves and compare themselves with themselves... 
They're without understanding. Paul says, we are not bold. We, we do not dare to step into this. You know what? I watch this verse right here. And Paul says, I'm not going to play that game of self-commending. Don't expect me to respond to this problem by coming in there and telling you that I'm better than everyone else. Don't expect me to come in and defend myself on the basis of their self-commendations. See, don't expect me to come in and base myself on your criteria. There are people who come up with a criteria. You need to be this or you need to be that. I've had people got mad to get, well, you got a beard. Well, if you've seen me with sharp things, you're probably glad I don't shave. These are the kinds of things that you, you say, well, but you don't do this. You know, I, I, I work on motorcycles part-time, and every once in a while I'll wear a sleeveless shirt. And they say, well, how you, how's come you wearing that? I was like, it's hot. You know, pay me more and get me air conditioning. <laughs> Why compare with them, the Apostle Paul is saying. See, false like their names in light. They like to promote themselves. I, I remember a guy asked me, he says, well, do you have any promotional pictures? <laughs> Not that I'll show you. <laughs> what do you mean a promotional picture? Well, I don't want people to know what I look like. If you go to our website, the picture of the preacher is some guy I used to know. No. <laughs> I don't want people to recognize me. Just kidding. There are those who promote themselves. They want their picture everywhere. They want to elevate themselves. They want to bring attention to themselves. They're willing to do whatever it takes to get the limelight. Even if it takes belittling an Apostle Paul. But they'll belittle whoever they want. Why? They will set a criteria and then say, Hey, I have exceeded in my criteria, therefore I am better. Their pride is that is seen by their self-commending of themselves. Anyone that gets in their way becomes a target. Right? Right here in this context, the Apostle Paul is the target. And there's no problem... They'll destroy whoever they want just to elevate themselves. And you know what? Paul says, I'm not even going to play that game. I don't even want no part of that. He refuses to engage. He's not going to get into the congratulations of egos. There are those that are not true men of God. They are self-confident. They are slick-talking. They're hypocritical. They have overbearing personalities. They make themselves appear superior to anyone and to everyone. And now they are targeting the Apostle Paul. And Paul basically says in verse 12, I ain't playing. I don't even want in your criteria. Remember what he said starting into chapter 10? I don't fight with your weapons. I fight with destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against God. We are taking every thought captive into the obedience of Christ. Why? Our weapons of our warfare are not, not of the flesh. The divinely powerful. 
for the destruction of fortresses. See, the false operate out of a very proud heart. Sometimes they keep them tamped down. But you'll watch their actions and hear their words and it will come forward. You'll see it. It'll expose itself. Remember, the Bible teaches us pride comes before the fall. And tell me I'm wrong. I can give you an ongoing list of men who have fallen and it was all because of pride. Why? They love preeminence. They love popularity. They love the status of star. They love to see their names. They love the public view. They are self-willed and they are proud. Remember 1 Corinthians? The disgusting things that were going on in the name of the Lord. And it was why? For the elevation of egos. The congregation had bought into it. Once you feed pride, when does it stop? And you know what? If you encourage it, uh, how many times have you heard this? Well, they don't act like they appreciate me. What are you asking? You want me to blow sunshine at you? Is that it? Well, they don't give me any accolades. Okay, now listen, I'm not talking about when you're at your job. I'm talking about what people do in church. You know, I did, I went out and cut the grass the other day and nobody even thanked me. Well, you know what? Nobody even saw you. But I know people who are like that. And what is that? Let me tell you what I did for Jesus. Let me tell you what Jesus is going to do for Jesus. They were arrogant self-promoters. I was reading Linsky and he made a quote and I thought it was pretty true. Quote, those passionately seeking recognition, unquote. And yet, you know what? Probably the greatest tool in the hand of God ever was the Apostle Paul and he refused to engage in self-promotion. He never dealt with self-glory. Take you back. Some of you were here when we went through 1 Corinthians. That was a, a little while ago. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 1 and through 3. Let a man regard us in this manner as servants. Okay, that word in the original language is the word we get slave from. Slave. All right, that's the word that we're not allowed to say anymore. Slave. Consider us in this manner as slaves of Christ and stewards of the mystery of God. In this case, moreover, it is required of the stewards that one be found trustworthy. Then listen to what he says. But to me, it is a very small thing that I may be examined by you or any human court. In fact... I don't even examine myself. He had, it was no consequence to the Apostle Paul what others thought of him. He didn't care. Only what was important to the Apostle Paul is what Christ thought of him. See, verse 12 in our text, their standard was themselves. 
Their standard was themselves. Can you think of really anything more stupid? It's irrational. It's foolish. To make your own standard, their pride proclaims they are superior to everyone else. Why? I made my own standard. Here is my own standard and I have excelled at it. Therefore, I am greater than you. Now think about that for a second. Is that really objective? I mean, really? You set the standard. I like that. If I could have done that, I'd have stayed in high school. And I'd have been valedictorian every year. Why? Because I set the standard. And if you meet that standard that I set, then I am superior. Back to our text. It says, but when they measure themselves by themselves. Canon is the word measure there. That's the standard. You'll hear somebody talk about the canonization of Scripture. Why? The standard that this book became about. Okay? They set a standard. They set a measure. A canon. They develop their own standard. And it's based on what is their personality like? What is their presence like? What is their charms like? What is their personal presence when they're in a room full of people? What is their speech like? You know what all that is? Self-centered. I mean, I heard a guy one time, he says, Terry, you don't do anything but talk in dangling participles. And you know what? I looked at him and said, I don't even know what a dangling participle is. I don't know what that is. I talk this way. I, you know what? I speak American. You think I talk funny now? You ought to hear me in Russia. Do you see what I'm trying to get at? Why? Let me set a standard out there. Their standard is that that I see of a car salesman. Their standard is that that I see of any salesman. And if you're in sales, I'm sorry. Why? They invented it. They said, this is what it is. And you know what? When I invented my own, I can commend myself and say, look at what I did. Look at us. We are above even the Apostle Paul. And you know what Paul said? I ain't going to play that game. You can't make me play that game. I don't want to play that game. You know what? I was thinking about this and I was just kind of going back through. I, I spent a lot of time with the Apostle Paul. I probably spend more time with Paul than I do anybody. And I thought, you know what? If you were to sit Paul down and ask him about his credentials, tell me about your ministry, Paul. What would he say? And I thought about it because I think about the people that are out here today, quote-unquote, ministering. What would they say about the apostle? What would Paul say his ministry highlights were? Let me give you some words that he used. Sadness. Tears. Weakness. Simplicity. Suffering. Imprisonment. Pain. Persecution. All for the love of Christ. 
But you think about it, wasn't Paul's standard objective and external? If I look at the false, theirs is subjective and it is internal. Paul gives proof of his credentials. Let me give you Paul's successes. All right? The massive things that the Apostle Paul did. It's just over in the next chapter. Verse 23 and following. Are they servants of Christ? I speak as if insane. I more so. In far more labors. In far more imprisonments. Beaten time without number. Often in danger of death. Five times I received from the Jews 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A day and the night I spent in the deep. I have been on frequent journeys in dangers from rivers. Dangers from robbers. Dangers from my countrymen. Dangers from Gentiles. Dangers from the, in the city. Dangers in the wilderness. Dangers on sea. Dangers from false brethren. I have labored and hardship through many sleepless nights in hunger and in thirst without food and cold and exposure. And apart from these external things, there is the daily pressure on me of the concern for all of the churches. I got news for you. I read through that. I'm, you're hard pressed to find pride in that. Paul didn't play on their field. He didn't want on the field of pride. Paul says, those who play there, those who measure themselves by themselves, those who compare themselves with themselves, they're without understanding. Only a fool would measure himself against his self-created standard. And then declare, I'm superior. <laughs> Now think about that. That's self-centered, self-satisfied, and the greatest of all, self-deceived. Because they are without understanding. Paul wants no part of it. The battle over the self-imposed standards? No. Truth is that by their pride and their self-aggrandizement, their self-commendation is based on a self-standard and it made up Clearly, that they do not have character. They are void of truth. They are void of knowledge. Paul sees humility to compare himself to others. He doesn't. He's too humble. I ain't going to compare myself with anybody. People who compare themselves with other people, you know what they're showing? Pride. I guarantee every one of you can go find somebody that you know you're better than. And then hang out with them to keep rubbing it in. That's what we do. Let me find someone who's lesser. Let me tell you something. Do you know what the standard is for Christians? Christ. So where does pride come in? Do you see when Paul says they are without understanding what he's talking about? You're telling me you're superior to Christ? It 
See, the humble will never make those kinds of comparisons. Why? We know what the standard is. The standard is the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, Christ is objective and it's external. I look at it, I see it, there it is. That's the standard. And you don't lower the standard so you can attain it. You bow in humility so that you may reach it. The true man of God knows that the true standard is Christ Jesus. And you know what? That, that humility knows that I will never make room for that. I can't get there. So where in the world are you going to have pride? I remember one time I was preaching. Uh, it was a, a, a test or whatever. Uh, what it was is Dr. Olford wanted us to preach. And then a, a room full of preachers. And then they critiqued your message <laughs> so we were all sitting there getting ready we were going to start the next day and they said who wants to go first and i got my hand up first and they said why and i was like dude there's no way i'll survive halfway through this so i'll go first and they said all right so one of the secretaries uh that was there she says uh, are you nervous i was like nervous i said I, I, if my hands was on fire i wouldn't be able to spit to put them out but other than that i'm not nervous she says, you'll be all right. She says, just remember this. Every Sunday you preach before the Lord. I just looked her in the eye and says, but he's not sitting there taking notes and critiquing me. <laughs> she says, you'll be fine. I survived it, as you can tell. But it was the most traumatic thing that I've ever had. You know, a whole room full of preachers and then probably one of the greatest preachers ever sitting there critiquing you. And you go, <laughs> you know, but, you know, I, it's, I'm going out to the swimming pool. I'll need to be rebaptized after this. But if you compare yourselves to others, you are showing your pride. A humble man will never make those comparisons. Why? Because I know what the standard is. The standard is Christ. You know what? Jesus Christ was the son of God, correct? What was the thing he did the most of? You ever thought about that? Preached. That's what he did most of. Now, would you like to compare yourself? I mean, God says, I have one son and he's going to be a preacher. That's the standard. Where can you get pride out of that? I'm following Jesus. I'm going to outdo him. Sure you are. True man of God knows that there is absolutely no room. See, the true man of God always knows that no matter what, he's always inferior. Right? Right? To get into a discussion on who's the greatest is Pointless. I have listened to some of the greatest preachers the world has ever seen or ever heard, but I have never heard Christ. All right? And these guys are good. I mean, I'm thinking, you know, I watched, we were at the International Conference on the Bibles when John MacArthur's study Bible came out. Man, 
they brought out the big guns for that thing. I mean, uh, David Jeremiah was there. Uh, Adrian Rogers was there. Joe Stoll was there. Uh, you're just sitting there going, is there any preachers left in the community? Okay, but I found it fascinating. This is MacArthur's church, and he didn't preach last. Okay, he didn't preach last. And I was like, who would want to follow John MacArthur in his church for the celebration of his Bible? Who in their right mind would want to walk up after John? Stephen Olford. And I thought we were just going to go right up through the roof. This little frail Welsh man, he's about that tall, white hair. I mean, white hair. And he had just come out of some chemotherapy and he stumbles up the steps to the stage and then just literally lifts the roof off the place. And when he got done, you didn't know whether he wanted to stand up and clap or cry or what, what we were supposed to do. And I thought, here's a guy who can come into MacArthur's church and preach after MacArthur. And you, and it went up a level. Okay, that's amazing to me. So why in the world would any true servant of the Lord Jesus Christ get into a discussion on who's the greatest? See, the true servant of God. Think about what the Apostle Paul said. I am the chief of sinners. Okay? If you're the chief of sinners, think about it. Now, I've done some horrible things in my life, but I ain't never killed no Christians. Okay? I never even encouraged it, although there was a few I thought about. But, but I didn't go out and, let's go do this. Okay? Paul did. He was the chief of sin- sinners, a blasphemer, a hater of God. All right? So the first thing that we understand, true humility will never compare itself to another. Second thing, true humility has a willingness to minister within the limits. And we'll get that next week. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for my brother Paul. Father, what he means to me. And Lord, I... I confess before you now, I long to meet him. Yet, Father, the awe of heaven will be overwhelming. Father, I pray for the body of Christ in the United States specifically. She is so arrogant. She's played the harlot of pride. And Father, I pray in your mercy... In your grace, that you will bring many back to understand the awesomeness of our salvation, the power of your word, and the wonder, the wonder of being called children of the Most High God. Father, may we understand that we are, as Paul, garbage buckets with precious treasure inside. Help that thought not go far from us. And Father, help us faithfully serve you to your glory and praise. Amen.